This is the Business of Apps podcast, bringing you actionable insights from the leaders of the global app industry and the world's fastest growing apps. You can find more app news, data and analysis over at businessofapps.com. Welcome to the Business of Apps podcast. On this show, we invite app industry professionals to cover various topics. We promise to do our best to keep it both insightful but brief. So this week we have another special episode for you, featuring our recent live event with Branch, Inmobi, and Mobile Groove. So there are only two months left in 2023, and the most dramatic mobile attribution shift is about to happen. It's when Apple's privacy manifests in Google Android Privacy Sandbox it will be coming to life in 2024. For many mobile advertisers, it is still uncharted territory, uh, so we've summed up experts from the leading mobile marketing and attribution platforms to share a strategy to tackle this looming challenge. So it was hosted by Peggy Ansales of Mama Groove, and the guests were Adam Landis of Branch and Sergio Serra of Inmobi DSP. It was a great conversation, a lot of uh, hands-on, insightful suggestions for you, actionable uh, things to do to be ready for this uh, drastic change and make sure uh, you will not be suffering being unprepared. So without any further ado, enjoy. Absolutely. We're ready to rock and roll, James. Thanks so much, first of all, for inviting me to moderate this very exciting session because we're all here to learn and what better place because we've got the experts for it. As you said, James, I'm Peggy Ansaltz. I'm your host today, your moderator. I'm the founder of Mobile Groove. And we're looking at fingerprinting because, hey, fingerprinting, yes, it was the workaround many marketers used to arrive at the best guess about ads that drove user actions and make that connection. So right way, wrong way, who cares? It's disappearing, that's the point. And so marketers are confronted with the question, hey, what do we do next? How do they prepare? What do they do to succeed with the data they have? And is it maybe an apocalypse? Apocalypse, pun intended, no, not really. Tough questions that we have today, but that's why we have our panel of experts who are here to offer actionable answers. So again, to your point, James, and everyone, use your chat. Your questions matter, and our panel, I know, loves a challenge. So let's just bring it on, and when I introduce you, you know, maybe raise your hand and wave. So I'll kick it off with Adam. Adam Landis, head of growth at Branch with the brand behind him, looking great. Adam currently serves as head of growth at Branch, as I said, where he spends his time with customers, partners, and product teams, helping steer the company's focus amid, as he puts it, the chaos of the mobile market. He's seen it from all sides, and late last year, his company, Ad Libertas, was acquired by Branch, where he spent eight years as CEO building it up. And um, we did an interview, actually, uh, at the time that that news was announced back in October. And this webinar is a bit of an encore on that because Adam, you foresaw much of what we are discussing today. And a little bit of a personal note, well, it marks Adam's 14th year in mobile app advertising in 2024. Over that time, he spent a lot of time on the buy side, the sell side, the data, the analytics and measurement as it is now. May sound very complex to you, but that's the thing about Adam. 
I think he thrives on it. His guilty pleasure, constant change, which may give some of us headaches out there. Well, he thinks it is what keeps life interesting. So we're looking forward to an edgy and interesting conversation with you, Adam. Welcome to the webinar. Thank you, Great to have you. And as I said, edgy. We're not overpromising here. Uh, Sergio Serra, product head of Immobis DSP. Sergio, hello. He oversees the demand side proposition for performance advertisers, which is probably best known for leading the market on innovation around Apple's ScanNAD network. He'll be talking about that, of course. What we don't know, he's also recognized as a leader in privacy reform. So a great fit here. He's collaborated on industry-wide projects such as Privacy Sandbox for Android, talking about it again, a great fit, and also represents Inmobi on some of the most important groups for measurement, addressability, and programmatic supply chain in the IAB. Personal note here, Sergio is Italian. Yes, we see that. He loves Italian food, which is what you would expect, a little bit stereotypical, but untypical does not care for garlic. So Sergio, you clearly break the mold when it comes to stereotypes. And here you are to blow our mind by knocking down some perceptions, some stereotypes about advertiser perceptions. So take it away. Thank you so much, Peggy. Thanks. So I think uh, <clears throat> we, can, uh, we can get started. And uh, for everybody, I everybody, uh, I hope you will enjoy this webinar. And um, there is an icon uh, on the top right, and uh, over there you will be able to see, uh, you know, some uh, some questions. And uh, uh, you know, why don't you guys let us know what is, uh, you know, your readiness when it comes to scan, and then we will go ahead and share what our findings are. Uh, okay, I can see votes coming in. Uh, so where are uh, where are you at when it comes to your scan adoption journey? Uh, I can see, wow, uh, votes are coming in. So uh, people are using both uh, scan and probabilistic attribution uh, seems to be the majority uh, and then is followed by using probabilistic attribution. Uh, and that's pretty much consistent to what we are seeing. And again, in a bit, we will go through uh, those slides. Uh, but yeah, results seems to be um, consistent. Uh, 15% not started. Wow, guys, that's why we are here. <laughs> um, but that's that's good. Uh, and uh, I'm just wondering if there is a way to uh, go to the next question. Sergio with the cursors should take you on to the, the next uh, is that worked? Yeah, there you go. Oh. Okay, perfect, perfect. Yeah, yeah I was just uh, checking if uh, uh, the new question will also come on the on the right, but okay. So I think we can uh, we can get started. Uh, so uh, at Immobi we partner with uh, advertiser perceptions, right? Uh, to uh, survey roughly 250 perform <laughs> performance marketers, and uh, you know the questions are the same. Uh, as the ones you guys are seeing on screen on the right. Um, and I think the, the very first uh, interesting finding is that 53% uh, uh, of the people are using both scan and probabilistic attribution. Uh, I know that the majority of the audience here 
uh, we know uh, what probabilistic attribution is, but we will zoom into it uh, in a bit. Uh, another 19% uh, is using uh, uh, scan as the sole source uh, for attribution, but then a whopping 27% uh, hasn't uh, uh, hasn't started to uh, you know play around with scan and is uh, you know majorly just using uh, probabilistic attribution. Um, now, when uh, we go into the why's, right? Uh, uh, so why is uh, uh, people? Why are people using a probabilistic attribution over scan? For instance, uh, keep in mind these uh, uh, you know multi-option questions. So uh, the majority of the people, according to our survey. Uh, is uh, stating that it's just easier uh, for them to keep going with probabilistic attribution, which is something uh, we can un understand because it's less destructive in, na in nature. Uh, then uh, the second reason is that scan performance is uh, lower and costs are higher. Uh, then scan is too complicated. And finally, uh, another 21% of the people say, uh, you know, scan doesn't give me visibility into ROAS. Um, so I think nothing really surprising as far as the results are, are concerned, at least from my end. That's exactly what I would expect. Uh, but then when we go to the next slide uh, and the distinction between, uh, uh, you know, probabilistic attribution and fingerprinting, uh, interestingly, uh, you know, just half uh, of the people know that probabilistic attribution may be considered as fingerprinting. Uh, but, uh, you know, another uh, one, one third essentially uh, is uh, is really saying that uh, I'm not uh, aware that uh, fingerprinting is actually uh, uh, that the fingerprinting is considered uh, as as uh, uh, probabilistic attribution. And uh, finally, 17% uh, is unaware of what fingerprinting is, um, and that's exactly what we are going to fix uh, during this uh, uh, webinar. Um, now, going to the next slide. Uh, when uh, uh, we go to uh, trying to understand whether people know that Apple is planning uh, on cracking down on fingerprinting, right? And what they are trying to do. Uh, well, people say that, uh, you know, in, in uh, like 20% of the people say that they are familiar, they are very familiar, 36% uh, somewhat familiar. And then again, almost another half is in between uh, uh, aware of the changes, uh, but uh, uh, not very familiar. And finally, 16% is not at all familiar with the changes, right? So uh, with uh, with this, uh, we can uh, we can actually go to the uh, one million dollar question, which is, hey, uh, what strategy are you going to adopt when it comes to scan, right? In in 2024, essentially. So 27% of the people plan to fully move to scan attribution in 2024, uh, and a whopping 60% is actually adopting a wait a wait and see um, uh, approach. Uh, in that they want to be reactive, essentially, right? Based on what Apple will do, they will uh, course correct, which is something uh, I, we will normally not really endorse from our side because uh, we would like people to be, of course, prepared as soon as possible. And then, uh, you know, 14% of the people are just stating uh, 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 no plans to shift strategies at this time, right? So <clears throat> I think now with this out of the way, uh, we can um, try to understand a bit more what fingerprinting is, right? And uh, uh, maybe uh, we can also draw the um, uh, connection with uh, uh, probabilistic attribution. So essentially, probabilistic attribution uh, is uh, one way of uh, using fingerprinting. And uh, uh, fingerprinting is uh, coming into picture whenever you don't have a deterministic ID to actually tie back to a user. And uh, uh, what 
you know, fingerprinting uh, uh, involves is to essentially take uh, some uh, uh, supply signals, so some data signals that can be concatenated together from the user and used to, to create a key that tries to uh, 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 identify the user across websites or uh, apps, even without a specific device ID. So let's look at these data points. For, for instance, you have the IP address, you have the handset, you have the uh, storage space, you have uh, you know, the user keyboards right on the phone. So <clears throat> the trade-off here is, uh, of course, the, uh, the more data points you add uh, to this fingerprinting key and you concatenate together, the more reliable this is in terms of identifying uh, one-on-one a user. But of course, the more data points you add, uh, the less dura durable this fingerprinting key is uh, because, uh, for instance, the um, disk space might vary, uh, you know, in a matter of uh, hours or days. Uh, same thing for the IP address, right? Uh, so again, the, the world uh, takeaway from this is that um, fingerprinting is a way to still uh, track the user, uh, even in the absence of a device ID. Uh, now, uh, let's try to understand why a fingerprinting is uh, uh, on the chopping block today. Uh, I mean, first thing first, as, as is, uh, you know, very easy to uh, think, uh, I believe that uh, not giving the optionality uh, to the user is simply not cool, right? So uh, today, when it comes to device ID, the user can simply opt out and decide not to pass anymore the device ID. When it comes to fingerprinting, the user doesn't have that flexibility. Uh, so it's uh, not privacy safe as such. The second thing, as we mentioned in the previous slide, is that uh, it, it becomes a probabilistic way of uh, uh, targeting and doing attribution as opposed to having a uh, consistent device ID, which is uh, more deterministic in nature. Um, and again, as a segue, uh, we, we already spoke about the data points, but it relies heavily relies on IP and uh, the IP is not persistent, especially if you are on the go. Uh, finally, it's uh, clearly prohibited by uh, both Apple and Google. Uh, so moving into the next slide, uh, I think now it makes a lot of sense to understand uh, the different approaches that both companies, Google and Apple, are actually taking uh, in order to crack down on fingerprinting. So when it comes to Apple, uh, Apple is taking a, 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 uh, an approach that is very interesting, uh, which is rather based on enforcing their policy rather than making fundamental uh, changes to the platform. So what I mean by that is uh, if uh, we uh, try to look at what uh, uh, Apple launched in 2020, among the other innovations, there was something called uh, Apple's privacy nutrition labels, which are essentially uh, labels uh, for the users that, uh, you know, user can uh, consume either before downloading the app or, you know, after having downloaded the app, uh, that include all the data points that uh, uh, the publisher is, is collecting about uh, the user, right? So essentially you have what type of data uh, the app or the, the um, SDK is trying to collect, why this data is being collected and whether it's, uh, you know, linked uh, to user tracking or not, and who else has access to this data. Um, but uh, with uh, uh, like in 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 uh, in in the last quarter, uh, Apple also introduced some something called privacy manifest, right? So privacy manifests are essentially files that are, that now are supposed to be uh, created by both the publisher as well as uh, the third-party SDKs the publisher uh, work with, and uh, it, they they exactly include this data we just spoke about. 
but uh, the important thing is that um, up until uh, uh, you know Q2, right, it wasn't really possible for the publisher. Although the publisher, by the way, is clearly defined as 100% uh, accountable and liable for any code, third-party code that they put into their app, it was very hard for the publisher to actually understand and have 100% clarity into what the third-party SDKs he or she works with. Uh, we'll, we'll try to capture in terms of data points, right? Because remember, um, on some extent, a third-party SDK is a black box for the publisher. They just integrate it into their uh, property, so into their app. So now the SDK developer is also supposed to fill in the privacy manifest uh, as well as the publisher. And uh, Apple introduced also some something called a uh, privacy report uh, that allows, at the time of uh, uh, compiling, allows the publisher to retrieve uh, the summary of all the uh, privacy manifest so that uh, they can uh, add this data into the uh, nutrition labels that we just spoke about. So these nutrition labels become uh, very, um, uh, very insightful for the users, and the users can then take a more educated call on whether uh, they want to uh, you know, take uh, the app or not. Uh, there is also another uh, addition which is required reason apis so some apis that are uh, uh, you know that belongs to the platform so to apple in this case are deemed to be high risk for fingerprinting by apple so an example can be you know uh, checking the last time the system was uh, uh, rebooted or the disk the disk space as as uh, was mentioning or the different uh, active keyboards right so uh, now uh, publishers and SDK developers will be still able to use those, uh, but they have to justify within uh, a list of potential uh, uh, reasons why they want to use this API. Uh, so for instance, if you are downloading as a user a Torch app, right, a Flash app, do they really need to check your disk space or the number of keyboards you really have, right? So as a user, you can now take um, you can now look into this data and see and think about whether this, this actually resonates well or not and take a more educated call on whether you still want to have that app or not. So that's the gist of uh, uh, this word release from Apple. Uh, now, on the other end, we have uh, uh, on the other uh, on the other side of the spectrum, actually, you have uh, another approach that is more uh, uh, fundamental when you think about it, right? And essentially what Google is doing with Privacy Sandbox and specifically SDK Runtime, they are trying to uh, take the SDK out of the publisher app uh, so that uh, it can operate in a more siloed environment. So let me just elaborate before uh, zooming into this, we need to understand that Android inherits something called, um, inherits something called uh, app sandboxing from Linux. Uh, so what this means is that every app will essentially be given an ID and it will be given a specific capacity in, term of, in terms of uh, memory and storage, right? Uh, up until today, uh, whenever an app uh, developer uh, includes an SDK into their own app, that specific sandbox and so memory and storage are shared across the SDKs that uh, the publisher decided to work with. Now, with SDK runtime, with what will happen is that SDK will be given by Android a different runtime environment, right? So the publisher will be gatekeeper on that extent and finally be able to decide uh, the permissions that the third-party SDKs can, uh, can, can, can get instead of automatically inheriting those permissions from the publisher. Because remember, until today, SDK plus app live in the same uh, sandbox, right? Live in the same uh, runtime, essentially. So that's a very fundamental uh, change. And uh, uh, I would say uh, 
slightly more complicated than what Apple is trying to do. Uh, now, just uh, uh, to conclude, let's look at the timeline, right? So uh, Q3, uh, which is the previous quarter, is when uh, Apple announced Privacy Manifest. Uh, in Q4, Apple will start sending uh, emails to developers, uh, highlighting, uh, uh, you know, whether there are unjustified calls to these required reasons, uh, uh, required reason APIs. Uh, and then in Q2 2024, uh, the expectation is that uh, Apple will uh, uh, begin the enforcement of Privacy Manifest, right? Uh, so it will be mandatory. Uh, and after that, it will be uh, more and more difficult to do fingerprinting. Uh, as far as Apple, uh, as uh, Android is concerned, uh, you know, they presented Privacy Sandbox for Android. Uh, Google presented Privacy Sandbox for Android in uh, uh, February 2022. Uh, then they announced uh, SDK runtime. And uh, what we can probably uh, speculate is that in 2024, uh, they will also start, uh, you know, making uh, uh, more available at a scale these uh, functionalities, including SDK runtime. So it, it like the availability of uh, a permanent uh, advertising ID, like the GIID or semi-permanent, I should rather say, will become uh, more uh, difficult, most likely. Um, Okay, so I think uh, before going into the Q&A, I uh, just wanted to reiterate that we, Immobi as a company, we are here to help uh, and essentially to help you guys, uh, marketers and you know advertisers, navigate to the difficulties of uh, these privacy innovations, which are uh, in multiple ways actually positive for uh, the whole ecosystem and the users, right? So you can uh, come to our website, download uh, the uh, you know our guides. And uh, uh, for uh, any further clarification, right, you can simply hit us up at uh, performance at immobi.com. And with that, uh, Peggy, I think I will uh, end it over to you for uh, the Q&A session. And you are on mute. Am I here? Now, yes. Okay, confirmed. And I should be all right. Okay, I love it when it's live. No, that was great, Sergio. Thanks for making it above all so understandable. And that was what stuck out in my mind. The shocker in all of that is how many marketers are following a wait and see strategy. So I wanted to start there because it sounds like a safe bet, but probably isn't. What are marketers losing here besides like the clock ticking away? Yeah, so at least in my mind, I think uh, the the most important thing they are losing is time, right? Yeah. Uh, because uh, as of today, as a marketer, uh, you have device ID to test again any new uh, uh, you know marketing campaign that uh, you want to execute in the absence of a device ID. Uh, but tomorrow, whenever these policies will be enforced, most likely the device ID will not be available. So you should rather start testing today make sure that things are working and if they are not you still have the device id to see how to better improve uh maybe your aggregation layer or the type okay sorry i'm in the as you know i'm not in my office so i'm in the middle of a, a unilever party and they're all uh catering so i hope you could hear and i could uh get rid of some of the background i did want to follow up with one thing because Yes, it's time. So that means it's time for testing and testing is really important to prepare. And I guess we could all argue that we lost time and adoption has been very spotty because of that. It's because of how SCAN was introduced, basically. How has SCAN evolved 
since its inception? Just to backtrack and be very clear on that. Yeah, so I, I think, uh, look, honestly, if you look at scan in uh, 2018, which is uh, scan one, the first uh, iteration they had, uh, it was fundamentally unusable, right? Because you, you didn't have uh, conversion value, you didn't even have the source app, right, as a feedback. So you couldn't know where and uh, how to spend more money, essentially in specific uh, supply buckets. But I think Apple has been doing a good iterative uh, work. Um, so scan two was uh, really what uh, moved the needle uh, because uh, you know they they introduced uh, the conversion value and uh, you know some additional uh, functionalities. But the, I think that the main point is that the way Apple tried to gain more traction for scan was uh, really creating uh, the device ID, right? So without ATT, they just left. Uh, is also important because because gives you a sense of multi-touch attribution, right? Mm -hmm. uh, of course, in the previous version on uh, on Scan 2.2, they also started to support uh, VTA attribution, which again wasn't there since inception. And uh, I mean, with Scan 4, we are also seeing uh, you know multiple postback and the more granular data. Uh, of course, uh, with some some level of uh, crowd anonymity tiers, which is, you know, their internal definition uh, to allow uh, advertisers to get more white privacy. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think it's a framework that has been unusable uh, to actually finally being in a very interesting shape. Okay. Um, we are live, so we do have some questions here, and it's a great follow-up because you were just talking about how this was introduced. And so the question is from... Uh, one of the uh, uh, attendees here, you know, then how strictly do you think Apple will enforce privacy manifests? You know, will there be a grace period like we had in the past? And maybe um, maybe you weigh in those, on this, but also you, Adam, because I'm sure you have an opinion on this as well. Yeah, I mean, my, my, my very quick uh, answer would be that I don't think that will be uh, as flexible because they are now allowing publishers to test as we speak. And then Q2 is when they will probably enforce this as per their uh, commitment. So usually they are fairly religious to that, uh, to, to those commitments. But uh, Adam, uh, I'm, I'm keen to understand your perspective here. I agree. I think that Google is more likely to delay on Google Privacy Sandbox, whereas Apple, when they make a decision, they go through with it. Now, any grace period that can or will exist is just going to be the how in strictly they enforce their policies. And the enforcement policies really are, are less going to be likely to uh, give people a chance to catch up on fingerprinting and more likely for Apple to get their enforcement mechanism right. I do want to uh, call something out. Now, Branch is an MMP, and earlier in the poll, there was a probabilistic equals MMP. That's not always the case, and your MMP may not be fingerprinting. Branch has taken a very staunch, non-fingerprinting, non-probabilistic approach. So don't think just because you're using an MMP means that you can no longer use that MMP or use measurement coming from your MMP. Yeah, thanks for clarifying that. I think it's uh, definitely very important for people to understand that even within MMPs, right, uh, you can you can access uh, and, and get reporting on both uh, scan as well as uh, known. And then there are some MMPs like yourself that made a very clear stance on privacy. Well, there's three sources of measurement that's not including probabilistic. There's opt-in. So any opt-ins you have, and that's like the silver bullet, both for privacy, but also for 
any kind of data policy protection. So any opt-ins you get, you can track users deterministically. You get information from your reporting networks or your self-attributing self networks or your networks that have just regular reporting, and then you have scan reporting. And those three measurements together give you your sense of signal that doesn't violate Apple's policy. So there are data signals there, but our audience wants to understand, is it really therefore possible to measure ads only with scan data? And if so, how? Um, Adam, you want to take that or? Yeah. I mean, so possible, yes. Recommended, probably not, because by nature, scan is built and designed to restrict the amount of signal that you get so you can't link a user between the advertisement and where they install. So you won't have perfect measurements, so therefore you do want to increase your ability to triangulate where that user comes from. And when you're using scan, you will have to change the mechanisms or back into the scan framework, given the purposely built limitations to take your end goal KPIs and back them into what scans limitations allow. So for instance, we have a customer that has a 37 day subscription event that they optimize towards. On scan four, you can only do 35 days and that's the absolute maximum signal you can get from install. So 37 days disallows them from using scan. So what they've done is they've changed our KPI mechanism to say, well, you know what? Since we can't get measurement on 37 days, we're going to look at a proxy mechanism that will allow us to look at success signals that indicate a potential 37-day uh, window or 37-day subscription sign-on. And if and looking at their app, they have a it's a seven-day free trial, and then the I'm sorry, 30-day free trial that allowed them seven days to go into, which is why they're looking for 37 days. So instead, they look for a seven-day opt into the free trial, and from there, they can approximate that 37-day conversion event. And that's a mechanism that you can use for scan to get signal out to measure using scan. But again, that's about using your KPIs and back into how scan will work. Again, a lot of questions here, so I'm going to go into them. I have my questions too, but they have ones that are going very deep in the weeds, and I think you're just the experts for this. So where does probabilistic assumptions from web server lo logs and API traffic fit with this mix. So again, those approximations, those assumptions. Who wants to take that? I'll, I'll, I'll Adam? So, yeah. Yeah, the um, probabilistic assumptions from web server logs, API traffic. Now that can be generated from two ways. That can be generated from the actual MMP, so the MMP is actually doing the probabilistic assumptions, and this is, you know, just theory. I, I don't actually know this, but this is kind of like the generally held theory. The MMP is doing this to maximize signal coming out of this traffic. Now, Branch, again, does not do this, so I'm talking just kind of what I would hypothesize. So the MMP would be doing that, and to the end user, they can basically turn, the end user being the advertiser in this case, they can essentially turn a blind eye and say, well, I'm getting measurement. I don't really need to worry about it. These are the people that are most at risk because if you're just blindly trusting your MMP to deliver data and you have no idea if it's probabilistic or fingerprinting or not, then come cut off, all of a sudden that traffic is gonna either disappear or you're gonna get booted from the app store. Now, if you're doing your own log matching 
and your own web server traffic probabilistic matching, that's an entirely different ballgame. That is means you're you're actively fingerprinting on your own. And privacy manifests, the APIs, the things that Sergio was talking about, are designed to preclude you from doing that, basically preclude you from getting the information you need to probabilistically match. Now, in theory, it will restrict you. In practice, it's probably going to take a lot of workarounds to actually create. I'm going to go out on a limb here and say, fingerprinting will be possible after this mandate. It will just become a lot more difficult to do. And if you get caught, which will be likely because there will be people trying to police this, you'll get booted from the app store. So there will have to be a decision that the, the app makes, who's currently using probabilistic matching, whether they know it or not, to actually proactively go around the Apple policies where today they can just look the other way. And I think that's the big indicator that we're gonna see is people are gonna to start to say, hey, what is my MMP doing and what do I need to do to prepare for it? Because your work, oh, sorry. Okay, someone got me now. I'm good. So I wanna continue with that thought, Adam, because that's it, you're working with customers who are doing this and you're seeing sort of who's doing it right, who's doing it the right way, you know, the ethical way. Also, who's doing it successfully might not be the same thing. And those who are laggers aren't doing it at all. Maybe you can share some of the approaches, some of the strategies that each of these groups is following. Maybe start with the easy uh, one, the successful ones. Well, I'm going to edit your question a bit and say ethical versus non-ethical, since branch only works with ethical no, no, customers. I, okay. So, so yeah. I will say effective. Let's say people using scan okay. effectively versus people that are kind of lagging and, and falling back. So people that are using scan effectively are really understanding the limitations the complexity gives them they're leaning into what their vendors or their technology or technology vendors, technology partners are doing to get around that. That's Sergio talking about what Imobi's doing, Branch talking about what the limitations are. And they're designing their campaign success criteria, campaign KPIs to work within that framework. So I, I mentioned the 37 day example. That's an example of someone who's changing their campaign APIs to work within SCAN. And then another important aspect of success is being able to communicate within the organization the limitations of this effect. Now I'll say, someone that was very early on was looking at um, Scan's limitations, talking there's a food delivery app in, in Europe, large, large food delivery app. And we're going through the conversion value schema and this gentleman looks at me and kind of exasperation goes, how am I gonna tell my CMO that I cannot return ad spend numbers anymore? I can't give him a return on his budgetary. But the fact that he's having that conversation early and going to the CMO and saying, you know how I returned 137% of ad dollars you gave me on iOS campaigns? I can't do that anymore. Now my return is gonna be anywhere between 80%, 150% because I can't exactly measure that or whatever, whatever number it is. But that's a, a critical difference. So the people that are lagging, there's, there's two types. The first, they're not understanding the complexity. They aren't being able to garner the resources to actually implement the technology. So they're losing the valuable limited signal they can get, and they have no idea what to measure. And then a year later, when they go to the CMO, they say, I can't tell the results on my campaigns. That makes them look bad. And that's where people are lagging behind. Now, the secondary lagger, and I, I find that the, the most of our customers are in the secondary bucket, is that increased signal 
for profitability on a campaign isn't really going to help them achieve their goals. The best example of someone that is can be kind of forgiven for not having the boned up scan influence would be someone like a quick serve restaurant. So like choose your poison at McDonald's, Pizza Hut, Burger King. Someone installing an app with a quick serve restaurant does not give them an ROI on that install. You put a dollar towards the install. The person might make an order in a Burger King or in a McDonald's app, but they're not likely going to put all of their lifetime value in the app. They're going to go to a McDonald's in Vegas. They're going to go to McDonald's on a road trip. They're going to see McDonald's along the way. And so it doesn't matter. There's no conversion value schema that will give them the ROI on the app install. It's a much more holistic approach towards what they're doing for branding. And they can be forgiven for not really having a boned up scan conversion value schema because that's not going to help them get better measurement out of their outcome anyway. You're giving recommendations as well, Sergio, to people who are, you know, adopting scan, dealing with it, dealing with these um, issues. How do you go about giving recommendations to your clients working with scan? And, and also, you know, and Moby saw this coming. You have something called uh, an ad-based, you know, scan-based ad bidder. What, what, where does that all fit in in the recommendations of, as Adam's pointing out, the, the routes that you need to take? Yeah, no, no. So I think uh, that's a very fair question, and uh, I also appreciate what uh, uh, Adam just mentioned because the, the reality is that uh, uh, the paradigm of doing marketing is changing, right? So as you move away from uh, user level targeting and attribution, of course, there are some compromises that are not necessarily, uh, you know, bad. As Adam was mentioning, it's just a different way of looking at uh, your performance that could be more holistically evaluated now. Um, when it comes to uh, Immobi, right, uh, and, and, you know, we have obviously pearls of competition and what they are doing because, uh, you know, the clients uh, are very likely to work with multiple DSPs. So I think uh, the, the call we made was to start fresh from, from zero, which is exactly what a scam bidder for us is doing. So instead of trying to adapt our uh, uh, technology uh, and uh, move away from, uh, uh, you know, user ID and uh, reuse the same algos for uh, non-user ID targeting, we decided to rewrite from scratch our old algos. And uh, uh, now user ID is no longer a, a first-class citizen for us when it comes to our scan bidder. Like, don't get me wrong, everything is, is still possible. But for us, we are really doubling down and we have been doubling down on privacy. So we separated out our modules. So now what this means is that uh, without, uh, uh, you know, user ID or fingerprinting in this case, we are still able to uh, look at the pockets where uh, most of the ROI or, you know, the ROAS in this case is for the advertiser, but trying to, uh, you know, exploit those buckets at the supply cut level. So what this means is that you don't, you no longer look at, uh, uh, you know, user IDs, but you look at cohorts, right? And you can infer those cohorts based on, uh, as I say, different supply cuts that could be all the way from, uh, you know, the bundle to, you know, time of the day, and uh, I think the key uh, really is how you leverage the campaign IDs, uh, right, that uh, uh, you can create with SCAN. Because, of course, there is a trade-off as a DSP as well uh, between giving, uh, you know, certain uh, flexibility to advertiser plus MMPs for their own, uh, you know, optimization and, and attribution purposes. But at the same time, you also need to make sure that your bidder is able to optimize 
uh, and have a feedback uh, from Apple. Now, of course, uh, fortunately, with, with Scan4, the number of campaign IDs, uh, of course, grew um, at a much higher level. But until Scan3, right, that was uh, a massive problem because out of 100 campaigns, you had to live with this, with this trade-off. Um, and so, yes, as far as the recommendation goes, I think the best recommendation I can give is uh, to make sure you're working with uh, A, an MMP that understands, uh, of course, privacy uh, and gives the right flexibility and, and you know, B, uh, work with uh, a DSP that has rebuilt their own st stack from scratch as we did. Uh, because I don't think if you try to pivot starting from an old stack that is based user ID, uh, that is based on user ID, you can actually achieve the same goals because you are uh, going to always compromise, right? So you have to start fresh and rebuild your technology. So always a bit of a trade-off, looking for a balance, but we do have you know, some time to do that. I wanna switch gears and talk about Android privacy sandbox and how advertisers should be getting ready for that as well. Um, we wanna take it maybe with, uh, starting with you, Sergio. Sure. Pointed that I mean, out. Um, maybe we can start with, with that, you know, clear uh, distinction between privacy sandbox and, uh, uh, you know, scan in general, because usually they are both put in opposite side of the spectrums, right? But the way I look at this is that privacy sandbox is a wall uh, advertising suite, right? While uh, scan is just an attribution framework. Then, of course, you can uh, add ATT uh, in the wall mix. But if you think about scan, right, scan is just the attribution framework. Uh, privacy Sandbox is uh, uh, the uh, clear outcome of a different operating model. So Google has been the emblem of uh, open source, right? And uh, uh, open innovation as such. While you have uh, Apple that has been uh, since inception the emblem of closed innovation. And this reflects into their roadmap and their products. So I think Apple tried to unilaterally realize, uh, release Scan. And we also all paid the cost of that because we had uh, to live with some efficiency. <laughs> right google is trying to do the opposite it's trying to get feedback from community it's trying to do the right thing since the beginning one might argue hey you will never do the right thing until you launch but i really appreciate uh, how google is going about uh, you know developing these frameworks we have been working uh, on a weekly basis with google we have been testing their apis and i'm very positive because this is going to be a more uh, breaking change when it comes to privacy sandbox, but less disruptive because they are also providing alternative means to cover all the use cases. So privacy sandbox includes means for targeting, retargeting, attribution, and crackdown on fingerprinting, uh, which is what SDK runtime is doing and what I was talking about. Uh, but in the interest of time, I, I think I, I will also let uh, Adam chime in. I know that they are I think I'll, I'll echo what you're saying. I'll actually, I'll, I'll put it more bluntly, which is, I look at incentives. So Google is an advertising company. They're incentivized to release a product that allows effective advertising. Apple is not an advertising company. And when they released Scan 2, it was barely usable. Scan 4 is slightly better. But then when you look at like Scan 4, it was released a year ago. And be like, why is it taking so long? Like, why are we still on webinars talking about Scan 4? Like, the reason is because it's imperfect. It's not a great product. Whereas Google Privacy Sandbox will be a better product, but it's taking a lot longer to implement. And Sergio, if I go back to your previous point, talking about your campaign IDs on Scan, that's exactly what I was saying, was to rely on your technology partners. What you were just talking about is the investments that Mobi is making to target better given limitations of Scan. Now, that's not necessarily something that your customers need to know other than you've taken care of it. You're doing what you possibly can. And that's 
key for privacy sandbox. It's going to be way more complicated than scan, like way more complicated. You read the tech spec, it's like ridiculous. But the technology vendors leading in are going to make sure that the efficacy of marketing is going to be better than scan probably for today, immediately when it, when it launches, which is still TBD, right? 100%. I get it. I get it. So I want to follow up on that because, um, and also ask some questions. We are running out of time, Sully, but we do have some questions popping up. Um, with RIP, um, fingerprinting evolving in 2024, how should advertisers prepare to effectively utilize first-party data for targeting and personalization while ensuring compliance with data privacy regulations and maintaining user trust? Big question. I write a book about that one. What strategies? is the point here. What strategies can be employed to maximize the benefits of first party data in this context? I'll jump in because um, I just want to clarify. So first party data, when it it comes to um, Apple's policies is very usable. Like you can use your first party data and first party data is defined as data that you as the advertiser collects on your own app within your own boundaries. And Apple defines that as, apps that are under the same publisher umbrella. So technically you'd use information from one app to the other, as long as they're under the same publisher ID. And they have they they actually give you a deterministic identifier that you can use to link those users together. That is, that is legal under the Apple framework. So when it comes to uh, app analytics, you're perfectly allowed to use that. Now, we're not talking about privacy policies like EU right now. Facebook's getting sued for doing this exact thing. Voodoo is getting sued for doing this exact thing. But under fingerprinting, you should absolutely use first-party data as much as you possibly can, as well as opt-in second, third-party data, which is if you if you get the user to opt-in and you pass that information on, it still can be used for targeting, very much allowed under the Apple guise. So use your data to provide a better app experience. That's one thing you can possibly do, uh, absolutely do with first-party data. And then get opt-ins to pass that, pass data on where you can for, for better targeting. Yeah, I mean, I, I will definitely agree. And, uh, you know, first-party data is going to be king, right? That's also what we have been seeing in terms of consolidation in the ecosystem, you know, companies, uh, you know, acquiring other companies, game studios, acquiring smaller game studios, because at the end of the day, uh, especially if you uh, want to uh, sell media within your own ecosystem, right? Um, you have much lesser limitations compared to uh, third party for the reasons that Adam is also talking about. Uh, and, and that's why I'm also very positive in the case of Immobi. Uh, you know, we have a massive repository of apps and uh, uh, user bases. Uh, like think of Glance, I think you Peggy are familiar or Roposo. And we will be able to use that data. We already see the value of that. Uh, so I think uh, you definitely need a very different and abstracted out strategy when it comes to first-party data. Uh, but in my mind, it's going to be king. This is just for me as a follow-up, but other than the focus on first-party data, are there approaches or work that you can transfer from one to the other? Because we've got marketers that are saying, oh, no, I've got, I've got to deal with scan. And then I've got... Privacy sandbox coming, sort of, we sort of know when, but we don't really sort of know when, and you don't want to reinvent the wheel. So are there approaches that you can recommend or you're even seeing your customers using and saying, if I do this once, I'll have it set for later? Yeah, so 
to me, looking at the two technologies, they're very, very different technologies, but the mentality that the marketer needs to go to is going to be very much shared between them. I heard a customer talking a couple of weeks ago in New York. They said, uh, measurement is dead. The future is signal. And it's a, a key differentiation that applies across both of these technology frameworks, which is no longer will the performance optimizer be jumping into a spreadsheet and looking at optimization on certain campaigns. That's going to all be taken care of through machine learning, broad-based algorithms. Now, they're going to be working on lower funnel events and optimizing user onboarding or spending more time uh, building better retention mechanisms or re-engagement mechanisms into the application. Those are both mentalities that will need to be transformed through the entire marketing organization and framework and ideal in the company. And what you learn on Scan will absolutely be, be able to be applicable in Google Privacy Sandbox when, when, and when, not if, it rolls out. Yeah, that, that's a very valid point. And, you know, I think that the underlying assumption is, is going to be the same across both uh, platforms, right? You don't optimize any longer at the user ID level, right? So I think, uh, uh, you know, interest-based advertising is going to be, of course, uh, very important. Uh, you're going to reevaluate certain signals that uh, uh, maybe you were not, uh, you were taken for granted and not actively using. Now you can throw them the kitchen thing and uh, you know just make sure that your ml algos uh, are actually optimizing towards those so things like uh, uh, different feature in your creative different uh, trends in the way the users are clicking at a cohort level right so you can use all these uh, insights and factor them into your uh, bidding logic uh, but i feel this is going to be common across both platforms again there will be limitations maybe more on apple or on google this doesn't matter but the underlying assumption is the same uh, you are going to go a level out when it comes to targeting and attribution. So I'm just going to look for a few last questions. We are going to get to wrap it up soon, but I'm curious having both of you here, I have to ask, you know, imagine we're coming together in another six months and we're doing a webinar, maybe not entirely on this topic, but it will be still around this because it will still be very fresh. <laughs> I mean, can you give me a view into how all this is going to play out because I've been to conferences where they have the devil's advocate question, which is like, why don't we just wait and we'll do triple M, you know, and it'll all be over and we won't have to, we'll just bypass it. And I'd love to hear what you have to say, starting maybe with you, Adam, uh, yeah. blunt answer to that. So media mix modeling is, is valid, but it's more, more correctly used for budgeting today. It doesn't have quite the, uh, even with, included with incrementality testing, it doesn't quite have the optimization output. I think in six months and a year, when we sit down and do another, another webinar, we're going to be talking about how to get the most effective signal, uh, strategies for getting the most effective signal out of the limitations of scan, which will be the next version of the strategy. Right now, we're trying to educate the market on like, you can't look at fingerprinting, you can't look at deterministic measurement. Next time, it's going to be like, well, okay, what are you doing? What are some of the, the campaign budgets, how are you optimizing campaign budgets to maximize signal? How are you building a marketing funnel to maximize the signal and increase the speed in which you can optimize? And the farther we go down this education path, the more advanced we can talk about how to actually use the limitations to your advantage. Yeah, and, and you know, I think the larger point for me is that I don't think anybody has, of course, the crystal ball to exactly say when these changes will be 100% enforced, right? Especially when it comes to privacy sandbox. But the reality is that they are happening. It's, it's really a matter of when. So 
the the biggest innovations usually come when people uh, really start you know, uh, innovating and investing into technologies and uh, that's why i think we have uh the duty right as a an addict system uh to incentivize people into uh, testing out this framework uh, so that whenever the enforcement actually comes people don't go through shocks right as it happened uh in the case of uh, uh scan and att in the past so i think we have an edge when it comes to uh, Google, as we said, they're being uh, definitely more open. So uh, everybody should write, uh, you know, subscribe to the beta and uh, uh, embrace this, this new paradigm in my mind. Embrace the change, that's it. And it's gonna be exciting to hear what those signals are uh, very soon, because that's where the real innovation is gonna come to your point, Adam. I think it's a great idea to wrap up. I don't know, maybe Sergio, um, giving it back to you just maybe to tell people who are there and there are hundreds of attendees there um, again where they might get some information around your uh, PowerPoint and your presentation again. I'll give it back to you. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think uh, uh, as we mentioned in the previous slides now, uh, I, I don't have access to the slide anymore. I think James is controlling, but we did leave some uh, uh, a link to our website so if uh, uh you know you come to the mobi website you can you can oh thank you thank you james uh you can you can uh, you know refer to these specific uh, uh repositories uh so one is to get uh, uh you know the guide but more importantly i would just uh, uh encourage everybody going to the mobi website check us out and uh, if you need any clarification you can send us an email uh to performance@mobi.com and i'm sure our uh, team will be more than happy to uh, help you through this journey. Excellent. Well, thanks everyone. Thank my panel for a great presentation. Above all, so educational, a little bit edgy. We didn't overpromise. And thank you for attending. And thank you, James, for being the wonderful host of hosts that you are. Thanks, Peggy. Thanks, Sergio. Thanks, Adam. Thanks, everyone, for joining. Great discussion. Thanks. thanks. And that was RIP Fingerprinting in 2024, How Advertisers Should Prepare webinar with Branch in Moby and Mobile Groove. To listen to more episodes, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, just search for Business of Apps and you will find us easily. Remember, we release episodes on Mondays. So subscribe and you will be able to get new episodes on your smartphone, tablet or computer as soon as we release them. And please don't forget to leave us a review or comment on iTunes. It is highly appreciated. And all episodes will also be available on businessofapps.com. Thank you for listening. See you next week. Thank you for listening to the Business of Apps podcast. For more, head on over to businessofapps.com.